Greetings listeners, I'm Ethan McCurdy and I'm here with Carla Golden. We are Top of the Noggin, that is the Neuroscience Outreach Group at NYU, and we're bringing you the latest cutting-edge breakthroughs in neuroscience, technology, and neuroscience and culture. Today is the second episode in our multi-part series, Applying to Graduate School, where we are discussing the ins and outs of applying to neuroscience programs from the perspectives of students who recently decided to take the leap and apply to neuroscience graduate schools to the successful applicants who are now doing their PhDs in neuroscience here at NYU, to faculty and staff who can fill in the black box about what goes on behind the curtain. Now that you've chosen which schools you want to apply to, how do you write a stellar application? How do you put yourself in the best light? What are the graduate programs looking for? Today, we'll be discussing the nitty gritty of writing an application so that you, dear listener, can create the strongest application possible for your favorite graduate program. To gain some perspective, we first spoke to NYU faculty and staff, some who you heard from in the last episode, who will be on the other end of an application. My name is David Chopik. I'm an assistant professor here at NYU Grossman School of Medicine. So I am Heather McKellar. I'm your boss, so this better go well, but I... (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned to find out how my interview went with my boss, Heather McKellar. But first, we spoke to David an assistant professor at NYU Langone's Neuroscience Institute and Sage of Graduate School Applications, who sits on graduate applications committees. For the last few years, I've sat on the admissions committee for the neuroscience program, which is a joint venture between the traditional New York University Grad School of Arts and Sciences that's located on Washington Square and the Grossman School of Medicine, Sackler Graduate Program in Biomedical Sciences, which is up here in lovely Murray Hill. About five, six years ago, the two graduate programs officially merged, giving applicants and current students unrestrained access to both campuses and a unique joint program that really leverages the strengths of both departments, both groups. And it's been a pleasure really to look at the applications and think through how we're gonna put together the broad, brilliant and capable student body that that we have. We asked David what happens to an application once it arrives at NYU. Almost all the applications come in the day of or the night of. pretty much as you'd expect. And uh, there are roughly five to 600 applications that come in. Then those applications are triaged and somebody goes through and makes sure that they're really in the right pile. So if someone accidentally applied to the program, but would be a better fit for one of the other divisions, that's when their application gets shifted to the appropriate pile. And they're also sorted. So the admissions committee is roughly 10 faculty and every application is read by two to three faculty members. The first task before us, we have a web interface where we get to see everybody's uh, PDF based packets and we've got to go through and give roughly 100 to 150 applications a score between one and four. And the scores are then collated. There's a first cut and then there's a second cut. So the students that make it past the first cut 
get read by other faculty members. So every application is getting a thorough read. And then the top scoring applicants are discussed. One question you might have is, how do I make the cut? What can I do to increase the chance that I'm going to make it to the interview stage? Although we're talking about NYU, which uses a scoring rubric that David describes, other top programs around the US have their own ways of determining which applicants are the top candidates. Now, let's hear from my boss, Heather McKellar, who works on the administrative side of the graduate program and is now the executive director of the Neuroscience Institute about what they look for in order to make that decision. I think the reason that you have me here is because I have a lot of experience in different realms in interacting with applicants to our graduate program, running outreach, my own journey graduate school. Um, I did my PhD in the same program you did at Columbia, and then I came here to the Neuroscience Institute at NYU. It's been a really great experience and I've gotten to see lots of different things and was running the administrative side of the graduate program here for a long time and then in the past year I've moved up to this position and, and really gotten like a bird's eye view of everything in science administration. When students are applying and they're, they're interested in NYU they're like wow this is a this is a top-notch institution and they're writing their personal statements, they're also conveying their background and trying to figure out a snapshot of who they are and how they present themselves. What is the best way to go about doing that as an applicant for graduate school? Like, how do you ensure that you have a good personal statement? Is that a place that you can try to stand out? What would be some advice from your experience, both applying to and getting into a good graduate program, but also being on the side of things now where you see so much from applicants? Sure. So I think the strongest applicants to our program do really take advantage of that personal statement. And there's a couple of things that I think people need to convey. First of all, they should be explaining their background and the kinds of research that they've done and what kind of role that they've had. And I don't mean that they should be talking about the Western blots that they've done or the animal behavior per se. It's more about how, what was the question that you were asking? What were the sort of broad scope approach to coming up with the answer to that question or the best that you could come? If there were problems that you saw in that approach and being able to point those out, that's also not a bad thing because it shows that you're critically thinking about your experiments. And I think just showing that commit to having an understanding of what you've done beyond the you know, technical aspects of it can be really powerful and really helps show that someone is ready to take the next steps to graduate school. And it, that doesn't mean someone needs to have 10 years of experience. It means they should understand all of the experience that they've had and, and understand the value of them. So I think that's one part. And then the, the other part is really important to show why you're applying to NYU or any other institution. Hearing Heather's answer, Notice how she didn't launch right into talking about GRE scores or grades. In fact, many graduate programs have opted to eliminate the GRE requirement, including NYU. For most programs, that personal statement is not actually a personal statement wherein you disclose a vulnerable experience. You want to sound human, but a personal statement isn't actually that personal. It's an opportunity for you to talk about your academic experience. However, each program is structured differently and is going to want to learn something different about you. For example, 
NYU asked for a personal statement that's separate from the research statement. As Maya Hopkins, a current PhD student here at NYU, who you also heard from last time, recounts, you'll end up writing a lot of different versions of these essays. I think I didn't know how many versions I would have to write because all of the prompts are like different sizes. So I would have like a short version, a long version, and then there were ones that were just like completely, they were like, give a three page research description. I'm like, literally no one else asked this and why would you want to read this from all of your applicants? I think in the personal statement too, it's important. One, if you're adopting language between personal statements, if it is applicable, it's like, make sure you don't make sure you remember to update the institution because i definitely had new people i don't think i did it but i knew people who would send you know their personal statement for like stanford or whatever to not stanford and they were like um <laughs> and it's good to mention like um the researchers and faculty members you're specifically interested in i'm not sure if you did that in yours because i know that everyone's is different Mm -hmm. I think I also hated, um, I like read a few samples, it was hard to get a hold of like sample personal statements for whatever field you're going into, so I think I asked one of my friends who's like in physics, optics or something, which wasn't super relevant, but I asked him for his, and he, a lot of people start with that like, I have always been a scientist, ever since I, <laughs> like, did something in childhood and this is what sparked me and I think I'm pretty sure in mine I had said specifically like I don't have an aha moment for why I'm applying to grad school um I think it's just because you feel like you need to have something sort of light and fun at the beginning but I think I just sort of tried to condense like how I got to where I was but when I would submit an application never go back and check the submission because some like you submit a PDF, they don't let you change it. I would go in there, I would see like if I made a typo or something, and then I would just like stress about it. I think just don't look at the submission unless it's literally like you're missing the personal statement being attached at all. That is sage advice. God, yeah. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you catch the typo and you're like, no! And I'm like, I'm not gonna get accepted because I didn't put a space. <laughs> What essays does the NYU Neuroscience Program want to read specifically? Let's hear again from David. So in the Neuroscience app, there are two essays that most of the students fill out and they're, you know, page plus, right? So there's ample room to really develop. The committee, as I said, looks for a clear why NYU. Most applicants at this point, devote the last paragraph to explicitly spelling out what they think a given faculty member does and why that fits with the interests that they've defined earlier in the essay. The essays tend to be chronological, often life histories. Sometimes they're motivated by particular personal experience with neurodegenerative disorders or mental health disorders or uh, you know, poverty or other challenges that the student or the student's family face, uh, which is absolutely fine to start an essay that way. The jump though, between that first paragraph that motivates 
the applicant's entry into the field and the last paragraph where they talk about, oh, you know, it's, I want to work in her lab and, you know, her research is super exciting. Let me, let me do that. That's where it becomes make or break, right? Every compelling applicant has had some research experience, whether that's uh, as an undergraduate, whether that's in a post-bac program or a master's program, or whether that's as a technician, which many students have uh, have done for a year or two. The key is to get the reader from the motivation to the specifics by way of talking about what you have done and what you've learned scientifically. Operationally, the very best preparation that you could have for doing the full-time research that you're going to do in grad school is to have done some sort of full-time research. We definitely don't have any kind of hard and fast rule like, oh, you have to do this many years of whatever. Uh, and we do take students right out of undergraduate, but the bulk of the students that choose to matriculate in our program have had considerable, meaningful research experiences. Again, that's not necessarily reflected in publications. It's not necessarily reflected in awards or other things, although those are all nice. But the essay, right, that, that first essay is the place to spell out what'd you do? What did you struggle with? How'd you overcome that struggle? Grad school is really hard. And anybody who tells you different is trying to sell you something. Nobody's trying to sell you grad school. The second essay is just as important and is really the personal part. This is where students can really answer the question, uh, who is your community and how do you see yourself serving them over the next few years? Right. If you can answer that question in the personal essay, that makes for a very, very easy time as a reader because I can say, you know what, this person had to overcome X and Y and Z, or maybe they didn't. And they devoted their time to helping students that have to overcome X, Y and Z. And or they believe in outreach and or they believe in you know, political engagement. They believe in reaching different groups and bringing the neuroscience that they live in the lab into the, the real world. All of that comes across in that essay. And it means so much. It means so much because honestly, in those 600, there are a hundred students that on paper look like they're really good research technicians. But we're not bringing you in because you're a research technician we're bringing you in because you're you and we believe that you've got the right stuff and also you will enrich the community for being here heather and david both emphasize that when you talk about the work that you've done you need to think critically about it don't simply report what you did Try to convey why you did what you did and that you're ready for the independent thinking you have to do in a PhD program. I'm sure there is a reason why that past research motivated you to apply for graduate school and got you thinking about what you'd want to study during your time there. 
For an example of such a purpose, let's go back to one of the applicants we heard from last time, Rodrigo De La Torre, a research associate in the lab of Jaida Basu, and hear about why he's applying to MD-PhD programs. This actually goes, I guess, back to my first summer experience where I worked in the Alzheimer's and the, and the motor disorders lab, and that was, that was led by an MD-PhD. So he, he was seeing patients who had these different neurological disorders, and then he, he took what he saw in the clinic, and that's how he guided his research. And I thought it was really cool, and, and it was a, a really unique way to, to move the field forward to, to answer the questions that are necessary for, for better treating these patients. And so I, I mean, not only was I interested in, in more translatable human research since then, but I, yeah, I, I saw the power in, in combining both science and medicine to, to help people more directly or to do a better job of it. And so going into the Basu lab was, I guess, a really good transition into research that, I mean, because it looked at memory and because it looked at the circuits involved in memory, it was, it was a really good way to, to learn about what's happening in the mice. And because these connections are, are preserved in, in humans and, and other species, it'd be a good way to learn about how, how memories are processed in, in several different types of organisms. What types of things are you looking for in a medical graduate training program? Like, I don't know if there's any particular avenues of uh, research, like given your interest in applying what you learn in the laboratory towards treating patients, or if there's any, you know, hubs of psychiatric, neuropsychiatric research that have interested you, any, anything just kind of like that. I mean, I, I absolutely want to keep on studying neuroscience, um, but I've, I've become interested in, in learning about how neurodegeneration occurs. Either that or, or learning about how to form memories or, or how to improve learning. So I'm, I'm kind of split in terms of my interests, but they're also highly related. So either, either one that I go into would be extremely useful for, for guiding research. What I look for in a program, I guess, I mean, to effectively prepare me to, to think about the medical and the research components equally, um, since sometimes it's easy to get carried away by one or the other um so it's it's important to have the training where you're you're never leaving or you're never yeah you're never leaving behind one or the other but always constantly thinking about both the patients and the research now that you're going to have a fantastic personal and research statement what should you be doing to strengthen the other parts of your application what else is under your control at this point in the process at NYU, we definitely try and take a holistic view of each application. So it's not just saying, okay, this GPA isn't high enough, we're gonna cross this person off the list. We're looking at the statement, the research statement. Um, there is an opportunity for a personal statement where if there's something compelling that you wanna talk about as far as, you know, these are struggles that I have, but I was able to overcome them and still do this amazing work. You could use that as an opportunity. Your letters, your letters are so important. Make sure you're taking the time to ask the right people for letters and giving them the background that they need. So if you have your personal statement complete or your research statement complete, both of them complete, share those with your letter writers. Make sure you're giving them your, um, your CV as well. 
so that they have some background. If you want people to address a specific strength or weakness in your application, also ask them to do that. So let's say your GPA wasn't the greatest and there was a reason why you struggled in your freshman year, but you got better. And a faculty member knows that information. Ask them to say something about it in their letter. There's no, you know, word limit on the letters, so it's a good place to, to go over that kind of information. So yeah, make sure you're preparing your letter writers as much as you're preparing yourself. So should we share a little bit about our experience applying? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, yeah, what was the process of writing your application like? For me, it seems as though it, it was like kind of broken up into phases. I would say for the first time I was putting together a very formalized uh, CV or resume. And so part of it was just getting the skills to be able to present that information. And I was fortunate to have a friend who I believe was more on like, they, they, were, in, they were at a different university and they were majoring in business and were very good at this. And so I, I reached, you know, reached across disciplines to say, you know, how do I present myself? How do I put my, present myself on a piece of paper? And they were extraordinarily helpful in sort of guiding me on that. So, you know, especially you're at a university, let's say you are at a university and you're, um, you know, you have friends in different disciplines, reach out because they have other skills. You know, maybe somebody in business or finance is, you know, they, they've put together their CV and resume. They've been doing that for years, whereas you've spent most of your time in a laboratory. So I think it's capitalizing on what you, what other skills are in your circle. Yeah, that's great advice. I think one of, when it, we were, you know, talking about personal and or research statements a lot in this episode, and that, I think, I, one of the two, I think the research statement maybe was the first time in college when I was applying to graduate school that I just had to torch my entire document and just start from scratch. Like in previous classes, I always like my draft may have changed a lot, you know, but it was always, you know, there was some trace of what I had the first time on a page and not the case for this. I remember I had gone to a professor and they had the honesty to tell me this is awful. <laughs> this is really bad. You really missed the mark. Um, and I had start, I had start uh, completely over. Um, and my advice in this is that, you know, think about, you know, in the last episode, David encouraged students to think about him, you know, as somebody who sits on a committee and what they're looking for. And I think with these statements, um, try to put yourself in the mind of a more senior academic who might be reading uh, your essay. So, you know, and my first piece of advice is say, reach out to your friends, but also uh, make sure you reach out to your professors or a more like senior or authority figure to look at it too, so you can have different perspectives weighing in. Yeah, absolutely. I did the same thing. I probably had at least 10 people read it um, at different stages. That way you're also not bugging the same person over and over again. They're probably going to give you the same advice. I mean, if you're working in a lab and you're close with your mentor and they're available to keep reading it and rereading it. I mean, it's, it benefits them too for you to get into grad school and be successful. So um, hopefully they'll be working on it with you. I had a kind of strange experience because during the end of my uh, college career, I was still thinking that I was gonna apply to med school. So I had even written my personal statement for med schools um, and then decided I wanted to apply to grad school instead. <laughs> um, and so I wrote it a bit more like a med school personal statement where, um, you know, I was really thinking about like what's unique to me. Um, and then I also brought in advice I had learned when uh, I was applying to colleges 
for my English teacher in high school that said, start as if you're in the middle of the story. And that's like the most kind of eye-catching, um, engaging way to start a, a story. Um, and I actually did keep that advice uh, when, I was, when I was writing my uh, graduate school personal statement. So I was telling a story about how I was traveling independently in Europe and like and reading this book about like consciousness and like I think started in some in the middle of like some challenge about like I was pulling out weeds because I was working on an organic farm you know just like really being like this is who I am <laughs> I'm a person who's worked on a farm and travels by themselves and then like somehow like made some like analogy to like problem solving but then brought it to like all the work that I've done and like what I was interested in doing specifically in neuroscience which is um looking at at sex differences and like effects of gender. And then I always had my last paragraph was specific to that institution and uh, the, the faculty there I'd wanna to talk to. But yeah, I would say my advice is to get as many people as possible to read it because you might think that you're making sense, <laughs> but you need somebody else to tell you whether or not it makes sense. So I even like, my mother is just a really great writer. So it was also helpful to have her perspective. Um, but then yeah, also sending it to scientists who could tell you whether or not your science sounded kind of naive or not, right? Because yeah. I think that's like this weird balance of like, I kind of want to, I kind of know what I want to do, but I also want to be open to new experiences. And I also have like an idea kind of of how scientific research works, but I also like don't know what I'm talking about and don't have any power yet or like ability to run my own lab. So I can't like, you know, overstate what I want to do. I think also the the point you make about making sure what you're saying makes sense as as specialists, you know, and like since you are probably going to convey, if you're applying to graduate school research programs, you are likely, or at least you should probably have research experience already, and and you know that research topics can be very niche, and so what makes sense to you might not always make sense to somebody else, and so definitely that point of, you know, making sure people read it for clarity, because you might just brush past, you know, kind of what you're doing, or you get, you'll get really into the technical weeds. And then you've lost the whoever's reading your statement, and they're just thinking, what, what, what are, wait, what, what were they talking about? Exactly? Right. <laughs> and then you'll sound especially naive, because you'll sound like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so having lots of people read it is such good advice. And also, I like that point you make about sort of referencing the professors in the last paragraph. I, I also did that and and it shows that you read about the program and institution. It gives you a chance to also show that you've thought about the professors and their research and how and why you want to work with them. Yeah. And I think from reading applications, something I noticed is that there are people who will just recount their experience. They're just like, I worked in this lab, I did these things. This was like my involvement in the study. Uh, this is what we produced. And that's, you know, I think that is kind of the bare bones of what they want, but it is so boring to read and I immediately forget it. And I think you do need to bring in some element of you, not something too, as we said, like vulnerable or like exposing, which I think is actually, so I, I actually attended a seminar one time post uh, grad school, I think even, um, where they were talking about how it's a bit difficult for people who like where English isn't their first language, like what does personal mean? So that's like very important to define that by personal, they just mean like, you know, unique, unique to your experience, but not necessarily something that's like, um, you know, uh, like your deep dark secrets. <laughs> and yeah, and like putting your twist and kind of showing like why you are the person that they should be accepting to their grad school. Um, you don't really want to be cookie cutter. 
and like everybody else applying, you want to stand out. And I actually like in a lot of my interviews, they brought up um, my personal statement, which was like a great launching point to discuss um, what I was interested in. You know, we in our episodes, we focus a lot on the statements. And I think part of that is because it's one of these things that if you're applying to places now, you're applying to programs now, it's sort of one of the last things you can actively work on, right? Like you could start working in a laboratory for the first time tomorrow, but that's going to be such a reason that like you've probably already should have that experience. And your GPA, you might at this point be most of the way through college, if that's where, where you're coming from. You can't really do too much about that. But these statements are where you can actively control the narrative and tell the story. You know, if your GPA is not less than phenomenal, then this is your chance to sort of convey, you don't have to explain it, you don't have to feel guilty about it, but you can factor in why that's the case. And, and if in your personal statement, you can you could touch upon that. And so when you're putting together your application, you want to think of just all of the elements, you know, very like holistically, like they're your, your resume or your CV, I suppose, in academia, and your research experience and your statements. Um, and if any programs still requires the jury, um, all of that go together to, you know, is your, this is your entry point until you get to the interviews, at which point that stuff is going to matter. But as we'll talk about in the next episode, the interviews, it's, it's, this is all about getting to the next stage. Right now, you're just trying to get into the door. Exactly. Yes. And this is your last bit of agency. Um, Right. And you and you want to have a package that works well together. You want to think about where the gaps might be that um, people who are looking at your application might notice. And you want there to be cohesion between the the letters of recommendation and your personal statement and this kind of like brand or, you know, narrative that you're trying to deliver. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. If you have these discordant elements, you know, for example, you've been working in a lab that studies environmental changes and you, or you're focusing you know, on like levels of oxygen and like, you know, wetlands. And then you say that you want to do neuroscience. That's suddenly like a, like this awkward jump. Like why, why are you switching? You're still with the science, but why are you switching fields so radically? Um, that would not necessarily work in your application. However, if you have a reason you, you believe it is, the, the, you could, yeah, you have the agency to try to convey that in, in your statement, um, which would kind of be an interesting personal statement, I think. But. Yeah, and we actually, at Mount Sinai, they were really interested in, um, in accepting kind of uh, different applicants like that. Like, they were very focused on getting people who had only, like, math experience, maybe, um, who then worked in a neuroscience lab, I think was kind of the, the way that they could be convinced that they wanted to do a neuroscience program. But again, that's where your recommendation letters can come in and say, you know, they're brilliant. Um, you know, they're a very quick learner. They can, they're very good at adapting to new fields. So I have full faith that they can take on a new area of research. Actually, as you're gathering your recommendation letters, speaking of which, make sure that you ask your like recommender for a strong letter of recommendation and think about who you're choosing to recommend you. So if you've worked in laboratories, that's a great place to start. If you had a random class with a professor you really liked, but it's not really connected to where you're wanting to go, they're actually not the ideal um, letter of recommendation. You want people who know you and can speak to your personal and professional background. 
Yeah, and don't be intimidated by the fact that it's, it feels like a big ask for somebody to write a recommendation letter for you, but this is part of the process. Every PI has had, had in the past people write them letters and currently still has to ask people to write them letters for tenure, for grant applications. This is just something that is part of academia. It's a given. Um, don't be afraid to ask, but yes, as Ethan said, make sure that they're going to write you a strong recommendation letter. We'll be back in a few months to discuss the next stage of the process, the interviews. If you would like individualized help writing your application, we recommend reaching out to the Neuroscience Predoctoral Interest League, or NeuroPIL, NeuroPIL, a student group representing neuroscience PhD students at the Uptown and Downtown campuses here at NYU. They've graciously offered to help prospective students in their application process. You can find them on Twitter at NYU underscore NeuroPIL. Be sure to join us for another installment of the series in the coming months to learn more about how you can nail your interview. Nail it. Nail it. Nail it. All right. Excellent.